the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. Thanks for listening. I love your emails. If you have an email question for the show, I've got several to cover today, so... You can shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. As a certified financial planner, we deal with taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's all fair game. My company, EP Wealth, we do financial advising, investment management, taxes, estate planning. We do it all. So bring your questions to the show. It uh, lets me know what you guys want to hear about, what you want to learn about, talk about. Um, Let's talk about the markets, first of all. Last week, the market was up about 8.8% when referring to the S&P 500, which is, you know, it's the largest 500 companies in America, but it's market cap weighted. So it's weighted towards the big names these days, like Microsoft and Apple and and, uh, Amazon. So far for the year, the S&P 500 is up about 2.6% because today, or on Monday rather, yesterday, the market was down about as much as it was up for the week. So we've had a little bit of a stall in the tech names, right? Because XLK, which is an ETF that is heavy into technology, is down about 1% for the year. But if you look at energy and financial stocks last week, that was the best performing. Those were, those were the best performing sectors you could be in. Energy was up 10%. Financials up 4.3% last week. And if you look at various ETFs between financials, stocks and energy stocks, an ETF that stands for exchange traded fund, just baskets of stocks in those areas, up anywhere from 14 to 40%, being part of the reflation trade, being part of the idea that economy is improving, rates are going up, financial stocks are do, will do better. And energy is the reflation trade, but it's also some of the supply issues out there as well. Now, if you look at the NASDAQ, because everybody hears about the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Dow, now each of them have, there's, there's stocks that appear in all of them. But the NASDAQ, which is a little bit more tech-heavy, obviously, is down 4% for the year so far. And last week took the tech sector into negative territory as the NASDAQ was down 8% and off over 10% from its high. So the same part of the market that major portfolios just screamed last year, making them have a little bit of a tough time so far this year. And that's okay. It's nothing to worry about. Some of the stocks got a little bit ahead of themselves, some of the stocks are trading well into 2021's earnings. In other words, it's, the expectations are high, if not even 2022, really. Tesla's down almost 21% for the year. That was obviously 
you know, something that got added to the S&P 500. Speaking of that, this has just popped into my head because I've owned a Tesla since December. And is there going to be a class action lawsuit for the idea that there's feels like there's no possible rain, way to get the actual range out of your battery that it states? In other words, I can get in my car. It can tell me I have 298-mile range on my battery. Okay, that's fine if there's no wind, it's 75 degrees, and I drive like my grandma. No acceleration at all. And I'm sorry, but one of the funnest things to do with a Tesla is that acceleration and and driving in a fun way. I tell you, especially if it's cold, I'm in the Northwest or something like that, and the, the I need the climate on. I turn the climate on before I get my in my car so it's warm before I get into it. I get about maybe 65% out of the range of my battery. So just wondering if there's already talk out there of class action lawsuits against Tesla, that it's nearly impossible to get that range out of a battery. Kind of a side note there. Um, with that said, I love driving the car, but um, learning how to obviously use the chargers and everything else. Okay, so back to the stock market. And obviously, Tesla's been a big part of the stock market news. So that's why I got a little bit sidetracked in my ADD show here. On the bond side of the stock market, long-dated bonds, so that's bonds that are 10 years or longer in maturity. In other words, if you were to buy the bond, you're basically lending money to a corporation or a government, and you're going to wait 10 years to get your money back or more, and along the way, you're going to get interest. Long-dated bonds continue to move higher. So we had dovish comments by Jerome Powell and his colleague at the Fed, but the 10-year treasury ended the week uh, the bonds up and yields down ever so slightly back down under 1.6%. At 1.566%, that's how it closed last year so, or last week. So rates up a bit. That's still so historically low when I think about where rates were when I got into the business over 25 years ago, almost 26 years ago. But what happens is, is when rates go up, your bond funds and ETFs can fall in value. A very common bond ETF or bond fund, the Vanguard Total Bond Market, uh, BND is an ETF that represents that down 3.93% for the year. And that's before dividends. So obviously you've got one quarter's worth of dividends so far, but that's down for the year. And so if you were a person that had a balanced portfolio, yet it was really heavy in technology and long-term bonds, you're probably negative for the year, even in a balanced portfolio. So that's, that kind of shows you why you want that sector diversification. you got emerging markets, small cap, and several other areas outperforming the S&P 500 and the bond market. In terms of the economy, a couple of things going on. You've got stimulus talk. You've got a phrase that I think I made up. It's vaccination versus mutation. I've got companies, some companies out there like Columbia Threadneedle calling for or about 50% herd immunity so far. I don't know about that. But we have a lot of cash on the sidelines. And the sectors that were really hurting, like travel and leisure, um, jobs reports showed a lot of jobs coming back in those areas. Latest data from the ISM, Institute for Supply Management, reflected an ongoing rebound in the manufacturing and service sectors during the month of February. But we do have supply chain issues. If anybody's doing a major home remodel or building a home, they know it's the stuff that you're waiting for, whether it's appliances, faucets, uh, things like that, there's delays going on. They're still not fixed when it comes to the supply chain. going to be a lot of companies fixing their supply chains and diversifying their f- supply chains as we go forward as a result of what happened with COVID. 
both surveys that I mentioned suggest that ongoing supply chain issues are creating price pressures across major industries. So we're hearing all of the, now that's price pressures up, right? And then we have oil prices increasing. So we have all of this talk about inflation. Lots of inflation out there. Now, I'm pretty sure we're going to get some short-term inflation because there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. There's a lot of money. People that received extra cash necessarily didn't need it with the uh, stimulus checks. And if you're not in hotel leisure travel, most of your businesses are doing really well. And a lot of people had a really good year. So there's a lot of pent-up demand. I just stopped into a mall this week and it was packed. I could not believe it. Um. The, and there's pent-up demand out there for sure. But that should subside later on. You even had Janet Yellen chime in about that, that even with a lot of stimulus coming down the line and a strong jobs report, the jobs report looks really strong, right? You have payroll remain at 6.2%, uh, unemployment that's below last year's level, but it doesn't include the 4.4 million people that left their job and left their job search. They might have left, they just retired earlier. You know, if you had a one parent that was working and barely making enough to cover the childcare costs and, and commuting costs and paying for lunches and things like that, they just stayed home. They quit, stayed home, and now they're helping the kids do Zoom classes. So it says a little bit about it, but both Yellen and Powell kind of chimed in on inflation. They don't have a massive concern about it. There's this Operation Twist talk going on where the Fed's talking about selling shorter data maturities to buy longer ones to have shorter term rates go up and longer term rates come down. But the inflation number, that's whatever is on everybody's mind. That's coming this Wednesday. That's CPI. And then PPI, uh, producer price index, is on Friday. So that and a lot of fiscal stimulus talks and what the Senate is going to do, uh, that's going to be an economic story this week. If you need some financial planning help, some investment management help, how to dial in your retirement with detailed cash flow projections, tax projections, which accounts you draw from first, make sure you contact me. Me and my team members will help you out. That team of, gosh, over 50 certified financial planners now at EP Wealth. You can just find me at chad at chadburton.com. And by the way, if you are a certified financial planner or a CFP in training and you want to look for opportunities with a fee-only fiduciary-based firm, we're always looking for good financial advisors. Um, so shoot me an email, send me your resume to chad at chadburton.com. All right, going back to some email questions because I got to catch up uh, with really just radio and podcasts in general. So I'm a little bit behind on the the listener emails. This is a good one though, because this gets you thinking. This is from Nick in Ohio. Nick said, my wife and I are both 64. We're retired and empty nesters. As soon as we are vaccinated for the coronavirus, we would like to travel to look for a retirement home in Arizona. This winter has been difficult for us, cabin fever, being quarantined in bad weather. Since real estate is at record highs, would it make sense to sell our large rural property and rent a home? downsized in a 55 plus community in Arizona while looking for a home to buy? That is a great question. Now, first of all, I want to answer this question with a little bit of a side comment and a, and a smack in the face of reality for me when I was having a dinner with a good friend of mine and his wife on Friday in Washington, where restaurants are actually open at decent amount of capacity. And so my my good friend's wife works 
in the nursing home business. Now, she doesn't work in a nursing home. She does essentially runs, helps runs four different homes. And a story that she told is that their homes were completely COVID-free until about November of last year. They did a really good job at keeping it out. And all of a sudden it hit. And within a month, they had 17 deaths as a result of COVID. So that was just a, a little bit of a slap of reality that most people will get COVID and have a zero effect of it. But it's somebody's grandfather and grandmother that have the, the real sensitive issues or any with pre-existing conditions. And it's a new style of vaccine. It's not shoving the virus into your body. It's a protein-based one. So um, as soon as I feel like plenty of older people have gotten it and people that are at risk, I'll get a two to make sure I'm not some sort of a spreader to somebody's grandmother or grandfather. So keep that in mind. Um, the second part of this, let's go back to the email because Nick is talking about what a lot of people in California especially are talking about. My house value is higher than ever. People seem to be leaving the Bay Area, leaving the Bay Area um, to go to Arizona, Denver, Portland, Austin. Those are the big ones. And they're trying to say, okay, maybe I should take some gains out of my house, downsize in terms of value, use some of that money for my retirement. And a lot of this could be getting out of the state because you might think that California state is really high when it comes to taxation. And I want to make sure that before people say, okay, I'm retiring. I've lived in the Bay Area for 20 plus years. I'm going to retire. It's too expensive to live here because of taxes. I'm going to move. You've got to do a full analysis before you do that. Because number one, taxes might not be as bad as you think. Because once you get to retirement, you have cash. That's that when you spend that, it's not taxable. Um, You have itemized deductions. You have different things that happen on the tax return. And even high six-figure income people in retirement that are spending a lot of money, they might be surprised that they're only paying around 6% effective yield in some cases. And, and that might not be exactly for you. So if all your money is in a retirement account that's never been taxed, that might be different. But you might also have a very low property tax situation. So as soon as you move states, there might be other things that you're not thinking about. There might be higher property taxes or state and local issues that you're not thinking about, that you're not paying in California. Um, but the big one is the property taxes. A lot of times property tax increase when people that are paying like 1500 bucks a year for their property tax, and they move to Washington where there's no state income tax or, or Nevada or Arizona. They end up paying higher property taxes than they think. So I would definitely suggest before you give up all of your friends and this, this the social circle that you've created all these years to go somewhere new that you do a very detailed financial plan, very detailed cash flow projection to make sure that you're making a a comprehensive holistic decision versus I think I might be paying too much in taxes in California. It might not be the case. All right. Also with the new prop, you know, 13 coming along with prop 19 with some clarity on being able to downsize your home in California and maintaining your property tax base there's more opportunities for you to do that now. So maybe it's just not necessarily moving totally out of say the Bay Area or California, but doing something different when you're home with your home. Because once you move out of California, guys, it's, it's real tough to come back. And a lot of times I've told people that we're wanting to move out of California, whether it's all the way up from Napa or all the way down to Santa Cruz, 
is maybe consider renting out your home that you live in now for a year or two, if you can afford to buy the new one or, or go rent somewhere you think you want to live so that you can experiment. There's nothing wrong with you moving somewhere, picking an area where you think you eventually want to buy, renting for a year to make sure you like it. Because this is a lifelong decision. If you sell that Bay Area home and you give up your property tax base, try it and you just hate living anywhere else but the Bay Area, trying to come back is really difficult. That's for, true with anything, right? Also, when you sell and move, you're typically buying somewhere new. You're refurnishing that new house. You're buying all new furniture. There's, there's a large expense to move that you have to consider in all this. The other thing is that if you're building somewhere new, take the cost of the build, the cost of the remodel, add 35%. Timber costs are going up. Uh, supplies, like I mentioned in the first segment, are really tough to get. So there's been 5% increases in most appliances and plumbing fixtures and things like that. There's definitely some uh, inflation in those areas. So <clears throat> renting or an Airbnb, Nick, in multiple locations, because you can do easily do month-long Airbnbs, uh, renting or doing an Airbnb in an area you think that you want to live is is great. It, it gets you maybe into the neighborhood a little bit. Meet the neighbors. Experiment with where you want to be and and kind of just pack light and be able to move around every 30 days. Um, you know, I never hear lots of real positives after somebody moves into a 55 and older area. I will say that my grandfather... <laughs> The, the my best man at my wedding and everything else. My my grandfather's my best friend, the greatest guy I ever knew. But man, did he do kind of some crazy things with real estate. He sold in a very beautiful part of Portland that became very expensive before a big increase. Sold that to move to Vancouver, Washington in a 55 and older park that was a manufactured house. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice house, but that's something that depreciates over time. So that's what I always think of when a 55 and older comes in. And, and uh, then you're like, you're never going to see kids or younger people running around typically. So I don't know if I have a lot of positive things to say about that 55 and older thing, but um, so be very careful when it comes to that. Don't do manufactured homes in any way, shape, or form. And when it comes to the price of the house, if you're buying for all cash, you're selling high in California and you're buying high in Arizona. So big deal. So if you're staying, if you can stay where you buy for 10 plus years, you won't care about any pending real estate correction that may or may not come. Um, it might hurt for a little while, but 10 plus years later, you won't even think about it. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach city mountains or all three pass, or you could just call it what we call it. The Inspirado pass endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. You have a money question for the show. Shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. If you need some financial planning help, just go to chadburton.com. You can request a meeting with me and one of my other certified financial planner practitioners. We can help you out. And we got clients all over the country. So don't be shy if you're listening somewhere else. Um, so like this one, the one we were covering the email, and uh, I realized that I'm sitting here talking about the Bay Area the whole point in time, but talking about... This idea of being 64 retired empty nesters, and as soon as they're vaccinated, they want to look for a place to live in Arizona. And he said, since real estate is at record highs, would it make sense to sell our large rural property in Ohio? I missed that part of it. And rent a home, a uh, smaller home in a 55 plus community in Arizona while looking for a home to buy. And again, I'll just put out there, renting or doing an Airbnb in multiple locations in an area 
where you want to buy um, is a great idea. I mean, Arizona is huge. You got from, if I'm looking at lakes, I'm looking at Saguaro to Havasu to Lake Pleasant, for example, in Arizona. Lots of places that I would look at. Um, but then you got to look at the community and where you want to be. I mentioned the 55 and older drawbacks that may occur out there. But just anybody that that is considering the idea of selling their home to downsize <clears throat> to buy something else. First of all, you're selling high to buy high. So it's not that big of a deal. As long as what you're buying, you're willing to hold for 10 plus years, that will get you through most real estate cycles. Most of the time, real estate, just like the stock market, will cycle. Where it goes up, you have a big price decrease and then a recovery. And so if you're going to buy somewhere and you're saying, you know what, I don't really care about the price because I'm going to live here for well over 10 years. That's especially true even if you're looking to buy. You don't own anything now and you're renting, but you're looking to buy a home, whether it's where you are now or somewhere new, interest rates right now are super low, right? And that's really what matters is the affordability of your mortgage, making sure it's under 35% of your gross income so that you can afford to own that home. And yeah, you're probably overpaying a bit for that house. But in 10, 15 years, when you got a mortgage rate locked in well under 3%, you're not going to care. And you'll be able to turn that home into a rental property if you want to buy something else later on. So I wouldn't worry about the price too much if you need it to live. If you need to move in with your family, you need to move in for your retirement home, you want to keep your kids in a school district, the price doesn't matter as much as the affordability of the mortgage. What I hate it when people do is they'll take on a mortgage that they can't afford. They stop putting money into their 401k or they even rob their 401k in order to get into the home. That's, those are the people that regret it the most when there is a major correction. Because you pulled money out of the stock market, put it into something that then falls in value, you're paying for it, and it just it hurts. So don't be that person. But if your time horizon, whether it's renting or owning it or eventually turning it into rental is 10 plus years, mortgage rates are super low, super, super low. When I bought my first home in the, was it probably 91, 92 timeframe, my mortgage was 8.1%. And I thought that was a great deal back then. It was such a good mortgage. Rates were so low. And now it's under 2.75% for a 30 year. It's just insane. So that's why prices are high. That's why there's a buying frenzy. People are trying to lock in these historically low rates. Um, so if you're trying to look for a flipping uh, property or a property that's going to generate this massive amount of positive cash flow that's better than a stock market, no, don't think so. Um, you might find a... a be lucky and find some random deal that's not marketed if you're trying to flip a house and rehab it and sell it again. But no, that's that's not where the values are right now, in my opinion. But if you're going to live with their, live in the home with your family or in retirement for a long period of time, I would say don't be shy. This one is, uh, this next email is from Mr. Anonymous in the Northeast. Um, so by the way, if you shoot me an email and you don't want me to use your name on the air, just let me know and I won't use it. This person is from the Northeast. Um, I love these emails. If you're out there listening to the show outside of the Bay Area where we play on KDOW 1220, you're listening to the podcast version, please let me know you're listening. Just tell me what state you're, you're listening from and uh, I'll give you a shout out. 
So Mr. Anonymous says, I really enjoy listening to your show. I'm a young listener, 25 years old, located in the Northeast. So first of all, Mr. Anonymous, I'm sorry when I talk about really retirement-specific issues, it probably puts you asleep a little bit, but thank you for listening. He says, I'm reaching out with a question related to putting a down payment on a condo. Currently, I'm in the market for a condo, not for renting, but for primary residency. And while I have the money for a down payment, I'm struggling to rationalize tying up the money in a condo when interest rates are so low and a balanced portfolio averages 8 to 10% a year. Rather than putting 20% down, I'm considering only putting 10% down. For context, I'm looking at a small condo, $250,000 price. The monthly payment difference between putting 20% down and 10% is fairly marginal based on my price range. Despite a higher monthly payment putting 10% down, I'd still be able to max out my 401k and Roth IRA. Given my age and compound interest being on my side, I would rather keep the additional 25k required for a 20% down payment and uh, work it in the market. Interested in your thoughts or any other factors I may be overlooking? All right, Mr. Anonymous, I think number one, you're a financial genius for your age. I mean, the fact that you're thinking about how much you should put in um, the opportunity costs of the money that you put into the home, the house is going to go up and down in value regardless of how much you put down. And so when you, any money that you put down, you're essentially giving it to the bank to earn money on, right? And so if you can only put 10% down and still afford that payment and max out your 401k and Roth IRA, go for it. The one thing that you have to be careful of is are you still avoiding mortgage insurance? If that's the case, then go for it. Put your 10% down. I don't care. That that 20 to 30% down that I talk about has to do for somebody that's trying to buy a rental property and telling them to run the analysis that if you put 20 to 30% down and you rent that property, does that rent pay for all of the mortgage, all of the property management, all of the property taxes, all of the setting aside some maintenance, everything, and still give you positive cash flow? Most people looking at real estate deals right now would say, no, that doesn't actually work. So, um, so the two things, make sure that you're avoiding mortgage insurance because that is a total waste of money. Um, number two, condo, be careful. Not a big fan of condos. Now, I did just say, oh, this is a pretty decent deal to a client that was looking for a third rental property in Bozeman, Montana, where she lives. And it was it was kind of a... The condo fees covered more of things like snow removal and basic stuff like that. And it was more of a standalone facility. I've heard all of these annoying things about people that get into condos and they deal with neighbors that are too close. And some people want to do one upgrade and some people don't. And then they all of a sudden hit everybody with a two years in with a brand new roof and everybody has to pay for it. What are you getting out of that condo? How much of those condo fees? Maybe just maybe you go 10% down, but on a house, like a real house that's not a condo instead of a condo and you do something similar. So yeah, it's just the, the condo thing. I've heard more complaints in my career on condos than, than positives about it. Um, and the other thing that you're 25, you're not going to, this isn't going to be in your forever house. So whatever you do in terms of a mortgage, these rates are historically low and I doubt they go any lower. So when you do run these numbers and determining how much you should put down, pretend like you are eventually going to run it and uh, make sure you are positive cash flow, even if that if you run it out and you've only put the 10% down. So positive cash flow in this situation, your rent that you might get, 
minus your condo fees, minus your mortgage, minus your property taxes, set aside for maintenance. And usually you're going to say 8% for property management of the rent value. So Nick, I hope that helps. And I love the way you're thinking and congratulations and listening to things like financial podcasts at a really, really young age. So, all right, moving on. Let's go to another email for the show. Boy, I got two more. And I love these emails. See, they they give me the content to the show. It makes my prep a lot easier. Um, Okay, so this is from Steve. Hi, Chad. Really enjoy your show. Just wondering if you might discuss investing once tax advantage retirement accounts are all maxed out. I'm looking at something, something simple like VTI, which is an ETF that's Vanguard Total Stock Market Index, or VIG, which is an ETF that Vanguard's Dividend Achiever Index. It's large cap stocks that increase their dividends. So I'm looking at something like VTI or VIG for my situation, say adding 10000 per year. But I thought it might make for an interesting segment on your show. For my particular case... I'm 51, married. I max out my retirement plan at work, including catch-up contribution. There's no mega Roth 401k option. I max out my Roth IRAs with the catch-up provision. My mortgage got paid off in 2020, no other debt. 529 plans fully funded to cover kids remaining in college. And emergency funds for two plus years already on hand. So congratulations, Steve. You've done a great job in terms of getting your financial self on track. Um, that's pretty early. I have a mortgage paid off at age 51. If you ever see a dip in real estate, you might want to use the funds and maybe pick up a rental property. Um, if prices ever dip for you and you have an inclination to kind of get into that business, that'd be a good diversifier. Um, but the idea is that he's doing all of the savings in retirement accounts, IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks. And when you buy stuff in retirement accounts, stocks pay dividends, bonds pay interests. And that stuff just gets reinvested in a retirement account. There's no taxes due on anything until you take it out. But as soon as you start investing outside of those accounts, once you've maxed them all out, you have to be very, very careful on taxes. We'll talk about that after the break because Morningstar says many investors lose about 15% of their return per year by paying taxes on dividends and interests and capital gains. So I was going over this email question from Steve and Steve was essentially laid out his financial situation where he's maxed out his 401k, he's maxed out Roth IRA options, mega Roth IRA options, mega Roth 401k options rather. And by the way, that's when you can put way more than you think into your 401k at work. So if you're at any of the big companies, make sure you shoot me an email asking for the mega Roth 401k flowchart. Um, it's been very popular. So, but Steve's done all that. He doesn't have a mega Roth option at work. They don't allow it. So now he's saying, I, I've maxed out all my retirement accounts. I've paid off my mortgage. My kid's college is fully funded. I need to set up a joint account with my wife or maybe they have a living trust. So it's a trust account with his wife and he needs to start funneling money into it on a monthly basis and have some automatic purchases be done. Now, in the past, people's only option to do that was a mutual fund. And a mutual fund is just a basket of stocks that a manager manages for you. And then ETFs came around, exchange-traded funds, the similar concept. It's a basket of stocks, but it is more tax-efficient. The structure of it creates more tax efficiencies. But when you're investing outside of a retirement account, you have to remember 
even if you don't sell a stock, most stocks pay dividends. Those dividends are taxable. Most bonds pay interest. And if, unless it's a California or Oregon tax-free bond or whatever state you're in, that, that interest is taxable. So you have to be tax efficient when it comes to investing in your taxable account. The assets that you have to invest in in your, in your world out there are large cap stocks, mid cap stocks, small cap stocks, international stocks, emerging markets, bonds, and real estate. And the most tax efficient of those are large cap stocks and maybe some mid cap and some international developed because typically they're longer term holds, right? The stocks that are inside the fund, they're purchased and they're held for a long period of time before they're sold. So there's very little annual capital gains. The only thing you pay taxes on is the annual dividend yield, which is typically 2% or less. But the problem with investing in small cap funds or emerging market funds inside of a taxable account is there is a ton of turnover in small cap funds. Because think about it, what are small cap stocks? They're, they're small companies that have something new that they've created, that they're created or selling some new service. And they're growing very quickly. And they often end up becoming a mid cap stock. So the small cap manager has to sell them or they're acquired by another larger company. That's going to be probably the theme of 2021 and 22. And so there's a lot of turnover. So there's a lot more capital gains that you end up paying on an annual basis in small cap. Same thing with emerging markets. A lot of turnover. So once you start adding to your taxable accounts, I would concentrate on ETFs or exchange-traded funds. Look for large cap ones. I like the idea that he's talking about Vanguard Dividend Achiever. I love large cap stocks. This is where it's uh, mostly large cap stocks. They, they pay a dividend. They have a history of increasing their dividend on average of 10% a year. Now, Vanguard Dividend Achiever Index, VIG. I will say PE-wise, it's one of the most expensive I've ever seen that uh, because that's where everybody's trying to been putting their money lately. So the thing is, Steve, when you start doing that, if you're putting in about $10,000 per year and you're funneling that into a large cap ETF in a taxable account, you need to look at the big picture. You need to have some sort of a program that allows you to see all of your assets on one pie chart. And you can do that with mint.com. Our clients have a wealth management site that you can clearly see that what your overall asset allocation is because as you increase your large cap allocation in your taxable accounts, you're going to want to decrease your large cap allocation in your retirement accounts and typically reduce your large cap exposure and take it into small cap or emerging markets or some other asset class that you need. So I like your idea in terms of focusing on large cap um, and then you just the next step is just adjusting your overall allocation to make up with that. So one of the things you do, I think you mentioned in your email, Steve, that you're going to put $10,000 a year into that. Well, that's about half of your 401k contribution. So if you're going to do that, you might look at your 401k contribution allocation in your 401k and stop adding to large cap in your 401k since you're now adding to large cap in your taxable account. Okay, I hope that makes sense. But this is a, a good year of, of why we do this. So in the last 10 years, large cap growth has been the ten, best place to be. But so far, we're seeing a bit of a turn where 
the stuff that did really poorly the last couple of years, like financial stocks and energy stocks, in some cases, some industrial and things like that are starting to really rally. Same thing with emerging markets. It's outperformed the S&P 500 this year. So a lot of times you look at an asset class and say, oh, that one did really, really poorly over the last three to four years. But historically, it's averaged really high. That's a good time to start adding to it. So maybe you think about that. Your 51s, you got to go for a balanced portfolio, but maybe you start stop adding the large cap in your 401k, add to emerging markets and small caps. So that way it frees up your dollars and your taxable account in, in that. The other thing you can do is look at things like uh, Acorns, which is a cool app. You can add monthly amounts um, into an ETF portfolio, and then it rounds up your purchases on your debit and credit cards and, and forces you to save even more that way, a way to get some extra bang for your buck out there. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. Don't forget, you can find me at chadburton.com. You have uh, all of the links to the podcast like iTunes and Stitcher and all the other places. You can request a meeting with me and one of my other certified financial planner practitioners. Lots of downloadables under the Insights tab there. So check that all out. And uh, Facebook page is the Chad Burton Podcast now. So check that page out as well. And uh, shoot me a like at the Facebook page, if you will. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.